Um, so we're going to continue in James right where Jeff left off last week. So Jeff ended in 11. We're going to be in James 1, 12 through 18. So I want to uh, start off with a question. So what, what motivates you guys through the week? What gets you through a long work week or you know, taking, co- taking care of a household or teaching you know, homeschool kids all week? Like, what motivates you? I know for me it's, it's the weekend, knowing that I have a couple days where I'm not going to be staring at a computer screen all day or a couple days of not you know, telling the kids that I can't play with them at that moment because I'm busy or... Um, you know, this time of year we got a couple of days of football on the weekends too to enjoy. Although yesterday didn't go as well as I'd like, but well, no. Um, anyway, <laughs> but uh, you know, and most importantly, knowing that you know, be coming here on Sunday and seeing you all and you know the friends that are here and um, worshiping the Lord and being filled with God's word. Um, when Sarah was working, you know, she used to tell me, you know, looking forward to a date night or, or having something to look forward to that night or later in the week to get her through the, the work week um, was her motivation to get through um, a, a particularly tough day or something like that. But of course, you know, after the weekend or after a date night, you know, we go back to work, we still are teaching the kids and taking care of a household, the cycle continues over and over again. So, um, the question that we're going to uh, try to answer today is, where does our motivation come from to endure through the cycle of life, those cycle of um, tough situations that we go through? Um, so as we go through James 1 through 12, um, we'll be looking at that. So I've titled this lesson, God Rewards as He Promises. So let's, let's read through the text now. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So again, the question that we're going to be looking at today, where does our motivation come from to endure through the cycle of life? So I've written down three topics that we're going to go through today uh, that the text gives us uh, to answer that question. So the first is God's promises. The second, God cannot be tempted. And third, everything from God is good and perfect. So looking at the first one, God's promise. So contrast to last week's text that started with a command, our text begins with a 
a word of wisdom, almost sounding something like out of the Proverbs. Um, the beginning of verse 12 starts off with, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. It also reminds me of uh, the Beatitudes that Jesus taught in Matthew 5, particularly Matthew 5, 3, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which goes with verse 9 from last week when Jeff was teaching, uh, when James says, the lowly, brother boasts in, boasts, the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation. So last week, James also told us how we should react in trials. So we had, we should count it all as joy. Testing our faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness leads to your perfection and completeness. And we should ask for wisdom where lacking it and ask faithfully without doubts. So this week, uh, we have James speaking about man again. Um, but now we see man has gone through the trials from earlier in the chapter and has gained the experience and wisdom that he needs to stay steadfast when trials inevitably return. And we get the sense from our text that those trials and tests are going to continue and they're helping us grow and sharpen our faith um, further along into in, uh, future trials. So verse 12 it continues, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life. So this shift changes the focus from I will endure through this trial as a lesson to in this world to I will endure through this trial because I know that I have God I have a God who will deliver me at the end of the day. And not only deliver you, but present you with the crown of life. Come on. We have to remember also who James is writing to at this time. They're, they were persecuted Christians who were forced out of their homes to go out and live out in, on their own, away from Jerusalem. And they had to worry about providing for themselves and worrying about who may show up and harm them at, at any time. And these are the people that James is saying are going to be receiving the crown of life. And when we think about a crown, we, we often think about royalty or someone who has achieved a great thing or that was born in the right family. That, those are the people we think about who receive a crown, like a, a king or something. But that's exactly how God sees us and sees the ones who love him. And has showed that they have endurance through the struggles of life. And James says as much at the end of verse 12. He says, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to the ones who loved him. So to the Christians that James was writing to, they had grown up hearing the about God's promises to Abraham and to David and how God had delivered on all of his promises. Uh, Psalm 91, 14 through 16 says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that psalm text is referencing Deuteronomy 7. 
Now, <clears throat> God didn't promise the crown of life to everyone. It was for those, as he said, who remain steadfast under trial and through those trials loved God. But James isn't telling his audience anything that he hasn't already told them that they need to do. Um, he simply is saying, take all those experiences, all that wisdom that you have received, and take it and, or, I'm sorry, it, wisdom that you've received through these trials and have fa- that you have faced and apply them to the whole, your whole life. And what we will find is a God who is with you through it all. And if you do this, you can't help but to, to love a God for everything he is doing for you now and after this life. It's that already not yet idea that Jeff brought up last week too, that we're already living in our eternal life right now. The eternity that we were going, that we're going to be living has already started. But when we leave this world and all the trials and the temptations are gone, God will see us like he sees Jesus, washed clean of our sins and fit to be crowned like a king. So that is the first, uh, looking at the first part of God's promises of giving, of crowning us. Now, um, looking at the, te- the next part of God cannot tempt, James encourages his audience that these, these experiences of trial will prepare them for life. But he's also giving them a warning and a lesson about temptation and sin during the trials uh, in verses 13 through 15. And Jeff talked about last week the, ine- the inevitability of trials. We're all going to face it. It's going to happen in life. And we're going to face many different types of trials through life. And the intentionality that we have to have in ourselves to seek joy during those trials. Would you guys remember what Jeff said was what we needed to lean on during those trials? It was the truth of God's word. The truth that... in we can rely on when we're going through those trials. And in 2 through 11, it was testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And in our text, well, we've already seen that God has promised the crown of life to those who love him. But look at verse 13 now. It starts with a command, just like uh, last week's text started. It says, No one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. And then it's followed by the truth that we can rely on. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But don't we feel that way sometimes when we're going through a tough situation, when we're going through trial after trial, that something is out there to get us, that everything's going against us. There must be some type of greater force that's working and causing all this to happen. I know it, it, it seems odd, it, even writing that, it seemed odd to me to, to say that out loud, but um, to think that God may be causing those temptations in your life. But if you look at the word temptation, it's really the w- same word that is trials w- within this section, the same Greek word, I should say. And, um, <clears throat> and we just went through how we ought to find joy in trials that they are a good thing for our soul. 
So is it really too difficult for someone to then infer that these trials may come from God to strengthen us? Well, there is a, a greater force working against us, but it, it isn't God. It's not God who is causing us to doubt and to give in to our temptations. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> After James says uh, God cannot be tempted and will not tempt us, uh, he goes on to say, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, the, the temptations that we face during our trials, they're there for us to make one of two decisions while we're going through them. We either we remain steadfast in our faith or we give in to the temptation and we give up and give in to the thought that God is not with us through this. I love the, the way that uh, John Stott, who did a, a commentary on James, uh, he explains this um, a lot better than I could, so I, I took this from him. He said, He, James, has been teaching us that trials are blessings and that they lead forward to maturity and to and the crown. But they, they the, the trials, do not do this in some inherent power on their own. Everything depends on our response and the use that we make of our circumstances. And he goes on to say, every circumstance we meet, therefore, requires a decision. Will we persevere and go on with God? Or will we listen to the voice which suggests the easier way of disobedience and disloyalty? It's not easy to, to be joyful and obedient in, while we're going through a trial, when we're hurting, um, when we have pain or if we've lost a loved one or going through a financial situation. It's, it's not easy to find joy in that. As much as we can read and say we should, we struggle with that. It's, it's, it's much easier just to shut down, to get angry to, you know, at ourselves, at those around us, to God. Um, it's much easier to say, you know, to make excuses and say, I'm too tired to pray, I'm too tired to read my Bible, I'd rather sleep in, or um, I don't feel like reaching out to a friend right now that may be in need. And trust me, I, I, these are all excuses that I make. So I'm, sh I'm sharing that uh, I'm the worst at making those excuses. But we have a hope in a God out of grace who loves us and says, no, I didn't create this situation for you to fail, but I created this situation for you to, to strengthen you, to remain steadfast so that one day you will be rewarded through this. No, God, God didn't create the temptation, but he knows that you're going through it. He knows that you're in this t tough situation, and he isn't going to let you go through it alone. And what an amazing example of fatherly love we get through this. I think of myself with my kids and the amount of times that I've said to them, you know, you, you've made this mess, you need to clean this up as I walk out and, you know, leave them on their own to do it. Or, you know, when they are jumping around doing something they aren't supposed to and they get hurt and I say, well, if you weren't doing that, you wouldn't have gotten hurt. And, you know, this unsympathetic thing. But, you know, these are sinful moments where I've let my desire take over, my own desires take over instead of 
being sympathetic for theirs. Um, and that sinful nature is where James goes to next. In verse 15, uh, he gives us this life cycle of, of sin um, and using a metaphor of conception and birth and death. So 14 ends with, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then 15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's an image of this, this horrible thing that we've conjured up in ourselves that when we desire or when we desire or lust after worldly things and, and not loving things. So where, where in the first section of our text, text we get this beautiful picture of God and his promises of presenting us with the crown of life, we now are seeing the opposite where we're now seeing our own flesh and our own fleshly desires leading to death. And it shows the magnitude of the decisions that we have to make in our lives on a daily basis often. We either follow God and trust in him and have eternal life, or we choose the flesh and we die. It's as simple as that. And James isn't pulling any punches here either. He, he makes it clear that when we decide to follow our desires, it's so this little baby sin is born. And that sin begins to grow until it's fully mature to the point of death. Now, a little caveat, the word death here, according to the commentators, isn't necessarily a physical death, and they debate its actual meaning. But if you, they do agree that it is, whatever death it is, it's the antithesis of the crown of life. So we have life and death here in contrast um, that James is writing about. And James concludes in this section the same way uh, he began this section with a warning. He says, do not be deceived, my brothers. James understands how powerful temptation can be. Otherwise, he, he wouldn't be giving us two warnings and five times saying tempted in the same verse, or in the same section at least. And James cared for those people that he was writing to and cared for them dearly and didn't want them to fall under the trap of temptation. And while our lusts and our desires lead to temptation and to sin, which sin meaning completely missing the mark on what God has called us to be, God cannot be tempted. God cannot and also cannot tempt us. And that's why we can rely on this as, as a truth to endure through the, the, the trials that we face. We're constantly going through battles of what is right before God and what our flesh wants us to do. But if we set our sights on the Lord in every situation, we will endure. We will receive the reward at the end of the day. <clears throat> so we've looked at the first two sections so far. Um, for the first two reasons that the text gives us to stay steadfast through trial. Now we'll look at the last one. Everything from God is good and perfect. And this starts in uh, verse 17. We start with the truth 
and then a, a beautiful picture of who God is. So look at verse 17 with me. <clears throat> every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So if we look at this text in three different, different sections, we have the first section that is the reward. It's the crown of life that God is presenting us. Then the next section is the problem. It's sin that we're creating on our own. This last section is, we can look at then as the solution. The every good gift and every perfect gift, that's a direct response to the problem with thinking that God is tempting us to sin during our trials. We journey through life unwilling at times and unable to make it through without blemish and without sin. It, it's impossible. But, but by the grace of God, the giver of life, he, give, he gifts us with good and perfect solutions for our brokenness. And the word perfect here is the same perfect that we saw last week in verse 4, where the trials that we're going through, if we endure them, will make us good and perfect. Because God has designed and given it to us, and everything that God gives us is perfect. And it has no ulterior motives or flaws. There's no other reason that God is giving us something in this life other than it's good or it's perfect. He's not trying to tempt us in any way. Amen. <clears throat> and there, isn't, there has never been anything that God has done or said that isn't true or for the purpose of good. And we can rest on this promise and use it when we're facing our battles. <clears throat> I love the name that James gives the Lord in the middle of verse 17. He says, the Father of lights. When I first read this, I, it's the first time I've ever seen him refer to that. But if we look back at John 3, it gives us this illustration of God being the light onto the world, starting in verse 19. It says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness. And people love the darkness rather than the light because this work, their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And it relates to our, our lesson about man desiring that darkness, that wickedness, um, when we desire or lust after things in this world. So James goes on to use another me metaphor, um, this metaphor of shadows, to show God's unwavering, unchanging nature. You think about a tree out in a field and the, the, the shadow that it casts from the daylight and how it moves throughout the day, so that shadow's never in the same place. And as a sidebar, you can tell James was looking up to his big brother through this with all the metaphors and similes he's using. <laughs> I thought about that. And, um, but I digress. Um, <laughs> but we, we think about um, all the uncertainties that the, the Christians at that time were, would have been going through. The, they relied on the rain. If there was a drought, they had no food. They, they didn't know if somebody was going to come and throw them in jail or 
beat them at some point. You know, that persecution was always right on their mind. But they could rely that their God was never going to change and that he always had their best interests in mind and that they could always call out to him when when they needed him. So we've been looking at, at what God will do for us through trials, but we haven't looked at the why. Why does God promise the crown of life to us? Why will he not tempt us? Why does he give us only perfect gifts? Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Now there's a debate whether you know, this life is, or this new life is a physical birth or a supernatural birth. Um, but, but regardless, our birth, whether from our parents or a new birth as a Christian, was initiated and granted by the Lord. There was nothing that we physically did to be born into this world and there's nothing physically that we do to be born again in Christ. Everything has been done by the Lord for us. And we see that all through the New Testament. John 15 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And John 6 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And by God's own will, he has chosen us to give new life, a new, a new birth. And he does it by speaking so. Just like he spoke the world into existence and all living things into existence, he's, he speaks life into existence by his word of truth, the verse 18 says. And we've already talked about how everything that comes from the Lord is good and perfect. Do you guys remember in Genesis at the end of each day what the phrase was that says, the phrase was, and God saw that it was good. After the dry land was created, God saw that it was good. After he created day and night, God saw that it was good. After he created the creatures, God saw that it was good. After he created man and gave him dominion over the creatures, God saw that it was good. And that man he created was created in his own image. Why then would he not give us everything that we need to be good and perfect? James tells us God's intention at the end of verse 18. He says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I had to figure out what that first fruits meant. That's not a normal thing that we say. The New Living Translation gives us a little clearer meaning saying first fruits is his prized possession, which makes a little bit more sense for us. But Looking into what first fruits really means, especially in an Old Testament context, the, fir- the first fruits in the Old Te- Testament were the first crops of harvest that were presented to the Lord as, as an offering. And uh, John Stott, in his commentary, uh, says there's three ideas of focus in this offering. One, that the first fruits were specifically for the Lord. So everything that was presented to the Lord was for the Lord. Everything else was then for ordinary purposes, for eating, for whatever else they would use it for. 
The second is that the first fruits had to be the best, and they were set apart as holy for the Lord. And lastly, the, the annual first fruits were of offering were a reminder that Lord, the Lord keeps his promises, bringing them from slavery, giving them a homeland, and providing for them in that homeland. So isn't that how we see ourselves then in Christ? Through Christ, we are reborn and for the Lord's specific purpose. We are set apart for this world, from, the, from the world as holy for the Lord. And we worship the Lord that, for sending Jesus as a fulfillment of his promises to rescue us from, a sin, uh, from our sins. Just like the people of the Old Testament were rescued from slavery. And he continues to provide for us daily. After all, it was through Jesus that God has given us new birth and has chosen us as his first fruits. I love the way that Jeff described it last week, um, the way that the Lord looks at us when we have been reborn. He said, uh, we no longer, he no longer sees us as filthy, as broken in our sin, but he sees us as he sees our son. His, not our son, but his son. <laughs> That he sees us as clean and fit for his kingdom. And if you weren't already convinced that our trials are for our own good, think about the trials that Jesus went through on this earth. He, wa he wasn't born into royalty. He was born in a manger to common parents. He persevered through the temptation that Satan gave him. And he endured the cross for us. And he did it all to complete the mission that God had sent him to do. He had salvation in his sights for all of us. So as I conclude, do you see yourself as the first fruits of the Lord? Do you see yourself as set apart from the, from the world, ready to present yourself as an offering to the Lord? To a Lord who has set us free from the slavery of sin and calls you one of his own. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Thank you for James reminding us of the God you are. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A God who sees us as your prized possessions that you take care of perfectly every day. I pray that we, that we take the lessons of perseverance and, and, and endurance that we've learned over the last couple of weeks and apply it to our lives and as an encouragement for ourselves and for anybody around us who may need it. Um, Lord, I pray for, for Kelly and for Millie as they continue to recover and going through the, the trials and the pain that they're going through now. I pray that they, they would use these lessons as, as encouragement to keep their eyes set on you, Lord, and not on the, the current situation that they're going through. <clears throat> Lord, uh, help us to resist the, the temptations of this world and to not give in when things are hard and, and fall into sin. Lord, I, I help, help us to remember to pray through these troubles, to reach out to others in the faith as we go through these troubles for guidance, Lord. 
Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you do for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.